Welcome to News of the Times and our new limited series Forgotten Fridays, which has been created by our wonderful summer intern, Jason. In this series, we look at a snapshot of times from newspaper articles and publications from long ago. The Time, 1764 to 1766. The headlines, eight-year-old child prodigy Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart performs a private concert before King George III and Queen Charlotte in Great Britain and has an encore on May the 19th. Baden, one of the member states of the Confederation of Switzerland, declares a policy of remaining neutral in future conflicts. This model is soon followed by other members of the Confederation and eventually becomes the basis for Swiss neutrality from 1815 onward. English scholar Edward Gibbon conceives the idea of writing the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Catherine the Great establishes the first secondary education school for non-noble females in Russia. Frederick the Great, the King of Prussia, issues a decree abolishing the historic punishments against unmarried women in Germany for sex crimes. Great Britain passes the Quartering Act, requiring private households in the 13 American colonies to house British soldiers if necessary. Charles Edward Stuart, Bonnie Prince Charlie, becomes the new Stuart claimant to the throne of Great Britain as King Charles III and figurehead of Jacobitism. Ferocious wolf attacks occur in France. African slaves are imported directly into the American colony of Georgia for the first time, with 78 imported from St. Louis, Senegal. James Christie holds the first sale at Christie's Auction House in London. Our headline story from the Caledonian Mercury, November 1764, a recounting of the murderous midwife. In the year 1673, an eminent midwife in Paris had, by her great skill in her profession, obtained the favours of the greater part of the inhabitants, the gentler of whom she delivered at their houses. But for those whom either inclination, or a worse case, made it necessary to be secretly delivered, she had provided accommodation at her own house, to which great numbers resorted. It happened that a gentleman who lived next door to the midwife had observed that although many pregnant women went to be delivered at her house, yet very few children were brought out and his suspicion of foul play towards the infants increasing daily, he at length consulted with some other neighbours who joined him in requesting a warrant from the magistrate to search for some plate which he pretended to have lost. In order, however, not to alarm the midwife, 
they began the sham search at the distance of nine or ten houses from hers. When they came to her place of abode, she affected the utmost concern, desiring the gentlemen not to hurry themselves, but to proceed in their search with all possible circumspection. They did so, and on their coming to the necessary house, they put down a hook, which they had brought with them in purpose, which brought up the body of a child newly destroyed. They continued their search till they found no less than fifty-two children, some of whom were in a great measure decayed, but many of them appeared to have been deposited in that place within a very few weeks at the most. The consequence of this was that the midwife was immediately apprehended and brought to trial, and condemned on the fullest evidence to be executed in the following manner, and she suffered accordingly on the 28th day of May, 1673. A gibbet was erected, under which a fire was made, and the prisoner, being brought to the place of execution, was hung up in a large iron cage, in which were placed sixteen wild cats that had been catched in the woods for the purpose. When the heat of the fire became too great to be endured with patience, the cats flew upon the woman as the cause of the intense pain they felt. In about fifteen minutes they had pulled out her entrails, although she continued yet alive and sensible, imploring as the greatest favour an immediate death from the hands of some charitable spectator. No one, however, dared to afford her the least assistance, and she continued in this wretched situation for the space of thirty-five minutes, and then expired in unspeakable torture. At the time of her death, twelve of the cats were expired, and the other four were all dead in less than two minutes afterwards. However cruel this execution may appear with regard to the poor animals, it certainly cannot be thought too severe a punishment for such a monster of inequity as could proceed in acquiring a fortune by the deliberate murder of such numbers of unoffending innocents. And if a method of executing murderers in a manner somewhat similar to this was adopted in England, perhaps the horrid crime of murder might not so frequently disgrace the annals of the recent times. The above story is strictly true in every part of it, and as well known in Paris as those of Mary Blandy or Sarah Jeffreys in England. Advertisement from the Ipswich Journal, December 1764, Melford School. Mr. and Mrs. Mannering beg leave to acquaint their friends that on account of provisions being so dear, they are obliged to advance their boards from eight to nine guineas a year and a crown entrance. They return their sincere thanks to those friends whose children are under their care and tuition, and such gentlemen and ladies as will please favour them with their children may be assured of the utmost care 
and diligence with regard to their morals as well as their learning from their most obliged servant. From the Manchester Mercury, December 1764, Liverpool. By order of the mayor, the following lists of fines are lately levied and punishments inflicted on offenders against the law is published. Thirteen carters fined for riding on their carts. Nineteen butchers and keepers of wayhouses in the shambles for false weights. Two bakers for exposing bread for sale short of the assize. Nine dealers in flour and corn for false weights. Two cheesemongers for false weights. Eight hucksters for false weights. One person for housing vagabonds. One person being convicted of bullying and selling potatoes, etc., the same as market day. Three butchers for blowing and otherwise disfiguring their meat in order to deceive. Besides these, three lusty men have been whipped for begging about the streets, such persons being by the law called incorrigible rogues and vagabonds. Two women have been sent to the House of Corrections for keeping disorderly houses and cellars for the encouragement of lewdness and debauchery. The magistrates beg leave to observe that they have no pleasure in levying fines. On the contrary, it gives them a great deal of trouble and takes up much of their time, being by their oaths and as guardians of the poor obliged thereto. They are in hopes to deter the audacious bad man to awaken the inattentive and negligent who is guilty of the sin of defrauding his neighbour by buying and selling with bad weights he does not know to be strictly true and oppressing the poor. Advertisement from the Manchester Mercury, December 1764. Notice to be given to persons of both sexes with the venereal disease or obstinate and inveterate draining weaknesses, occasioned by venereal complaints, self-pollution, or other causes, that this most noble and incomparable medicine, well known by the name of Dr. Richard Rock's true and original Jesuit drops, is the most certain, effectual, and immediate cure for the several disorders above mentioned, and, in forty-five years' practice, was never known to fail in one single instance, from the most inveterate or universal taint, and some of them thirty or forty years' standing, and by experience a fresh clap may be as safely and as effectually cured by them in twelve or fourteen days, and often in less, provided the patient lives regular and applies before the inflammation, swellings, and venereal eruptions with itching becomes very considerable. This case must be bad indeed, if not cured within thirty days. From the Manchester Mercury, December 1764, we are authorised to say that the Honourable Mr Justice Bathurst has been six days dangerously ill of a fever attended with great difficulty of breathing, and has been four times blooded, and used all the common methods of cure without any success. 
when Dr. James being called in and administering his powders, he was immediately relieved and by the assistance of the doctor is now perfectly removed. From the Leeds Intelligentsia, February 1766, Royal News. His Majesty did not attend divine service at the Chapel Royal on Sunday, being indisposed with the cold and was let blood on Saturday. But we have the pleasure to inform our readers that he is since perfectly recovered. Advertisement from the Ipswich Journal, December 1764. Mr. Nelson, surgeon at Loddon, Norfolk, having at present only two lunatic patients under his care, has room for three more, five having been his constant number for some years past. Either supposed curables or incurables to be taken care of as year boarders. He will take on reasonable terms with or without their attendant servant. The situation of the house, salubrity of the air, with the convenience of a large system for bathing and a very diligent attendance are, he flatters himself, no little recommendation. Notice from the Ipswich Journal, December 1764, Christmas and New Year's present delivery. For the convenience of presents, etc., being delivered in London on the eve of Christmas and New Year's days, the Beckles stagecoach will set out from the King's Head Inn in Beckles early in the mornings on December 23rd and 30th. Also, for the above convenience, a stagecoach will set out from the coach houses in Ipswich at 11 o'clock in the mornings, December 24th and 30th, performed if God permit, by R.D. Dave and William Blakely. Advertisement from the Manchester Mercury, December 1764, published The Lady's Complete Pocket Book for the Year of Our Lord, 1765, containing 1. A Methodical Memorandum Book 2. The Holidays, Festivals and Fasts, Birthdays, Holidays at Court and Remarkable Days throughout the year. 3. A lesson for the ladies of the studies most proper for their fair sex. 4. Some very useful recipes and observations with a method of distinguishing real diamonds from fictitious stones. 5. The favourite new songs sung in the year 1764. 13 new country dances for 1765. A challenge from a gentleman to a lady with a pair of gloves on Valentine's Day. 6. Rules for regulating the company at Buxton Wells. 7. Method to avoid the fatal effects of lightning. 8. Useful tables for marketing of the sun, moon, stocks and foreign coins, etc. London, printed only for 7 Newbury in St Paul's Churchyard, from the Ipswich Journal, December 1764, Country News, Chelmsford, Friday last, Sam Johnston of Twinshead in this county was committed to our jail by the Reverend Randolph Etkins on a strong suspicion of stealing several articles of kitchen furniture, etc., the property of Thomas Bowles of Leightonstone, one copper tea kettle, 
was found upon him. On Saturday, Edward Wortham of Rochford, labourer, was committed to the same jail by John Lodwick, Esquire, on the order of bastardy. And on Tuesday, William Brown was committed by Charles Smith, Esquire, being charged on the oath of Anne Livermore of South Ockenden, with robbing her on the second instance on the King's Highway of a silk handkerchief, a linen apron, and one shilling in money at North Ockenden. Advertisement for the Manchester Mercury, December 1764, to be sold by Mr. John Hallwood, Jr. and Company in Chester. A large quantity of white and red herrings, properly cured and packed and looked on to be no ways inferior to Yarmouth. Orders directed as above will be punctually observed. From the Manchester Mercury, December 1764. Bankrupts. Sir Thomas Ridge of Portsea in the county of Southampton, knight, brewer, distiller and wine merchant. William Hill of Little Walsingham in the county of Norfolk, watchmaker, dealer and chapman. Robert Madron, late of Virginia in America, but now of the city of Bristol, linen, draper and merchant. John Beardmore and Alexander Mainston, both of Thames Street, London, oilmen, dealers and chapmen. Mary Blake of Winchester in the county of Southampton, milliner, haberdasher, dealer and chapswoman. From the Leeds Intelligentsia, March 1766, indentured apprentices missing. Whereas the undermentioned and indentured apprentices to Mr. John Stell of Keithley, silk manufacturer, have run away from their said master's service. Peter Greenwood, son of John Greenwood of Halifax, Shaloon Weaver, about 18 years of age, rather low and broad and fat. John Kirkshaw, son of John Kirkshaw of Withens in the parish of Haworth, Shaloon Weaver, about 15 years of age, tall and rather slender. Hannah Radcliffe, daughter of Mary Radcliffe of Keithley, spinster, about 17 years of age, tall and lusty. This is therefore to give notice that whoever harbours or employs the said apprentices or any of them will be prosecuted as the law directs. Note, if they will immediately return, they shall be kindly received. Advertisement from the Ipswich Journal, 1764. Samuel Balls, at the Three Tons in Yoxford, Suffolk. As frequent complaints have been made of the length of the stages from Ipswich to Beckles in order to render them much more commodious, neat four-wheeled post-chases with able horses and careful drivers are provided at Ipswich, Wickham Market and Yoxford. From Ipswich to Wickham being 12 miles, Wickham to Yoxford being 12 miles and from Yoxford to Beckles 15 miles. The utmost care and diligence may be depended upon being taken therein. From the Leeds Intelligentias, February 1766, the story of Captain Glass. Captain Glass was a native of Scotland and bred a surgeon. In that capacity, he made some voyages to the coast of Guinea and was at length master of a Guinea ship, 
in which station he continued till the late war began. Having saved a good sum of money in trade, he ventured part of it on board a privateer and went himself as captain. It was not three days at sea before the ship's crew mutinied, but at length by fair speeches were pacified, and still more so by the capture of a French merchantman of great value, which followed immediately. The good fortune soon dispelled by the appearance of an enemy's frigate about twice its length, which, however, he engaged. The contest was very warm for more than two hours, but another French ship appearing, Captain Glass was obliged to strike. With the loss of more than half his crew and himself shot in the shoulder, he remained some time in a French prison in the West Indies and was treated with much severity. But being at last exchanged, he embarked the remainder of his fortune upon another adventure in the privateering way. He was once again taken prisoner and his whole fortune at once destroyed. Upon being released a second time, he was employed by merchants in their service to and from the West Indies and was taken prisoner during the last no less than seven times. However, he had upon the conclusion of the late peace amassed about £2,000 and being an excellent seaman, he resolved in his own ship to go upon discovery. He found out a new harbour on the coast of Africa, between the river Senegal and the Cape de Verde, to which he supposed a great trade might be driven. He returned to England and laid his discovery before the ministry, and at length obtained an exclusive trade to his own harbour for twenty years. Having prepared for his departure with the assistance of one or two merchants, he left England and arrived at the new found harbour. He sent one of his men on shore with propositions of trade, but the natives murdered him the moment he landed. Captain Glass found means to inform the king of the country of the wrong done to him and the mutual advantages that might accrue from trading hither. The king seemed pleased with his proposal only to get him more securely in his power, but Glass, being on his guard, he failed in effecting his designs. The king's next attempt was to poison the crew by provisions sent as presents to the captain. This also failed as an effect. Glance, for want of necessities, was obliged to go to the Canaries in an open boat in order to buy some from the Spaniards. In the meantime, the savages fell upon his ship, but they were repulsed by the crew. The ship, being obliged to quit the harbour and not finding her captain return, sailed for England, where she arrived safely. In the meantime, the unfortunate captain had landed upon the Canary Islands and presented his petition to the Spanish governor, but who, instead of treating him with the desired hospitality, threw him into prison as a spy, and there kept him for some months without pen, ink, or paper. He at length bethought himself of writing with a piece of charcoal on a biscuit to a captain of an English man-of-war, then in the harbour, who, though with much difficulty and after being previously sent to prison himself, at length 
affected the captain's release. Here he continued for some time, till his wife and daughter, a beautiful girl of eleven years, came to him from home, and from the Canaries they all joyfully embarked for England on board the ship Sandwich, Captain Cochrane Commander. Glass now supposed that all his dangers were over, but the ship had come within sight of his native country, when a part of the crew mutinied and secretly resolved to murder all the rest which they affected. Captain Glass, his wife and daughter, and Captain Cochrane and others were all barbarously killed and thrown overboard, the particulars of which have already been related in all the newspapers. You have been listening to the News of the Times, 1764 through 1766. Thank you for listening and watching this episode of Forgotten Fridays. You have been listening to News of the Times. If you did enjoy the show, please subscribe. Our goal is 1,000 subscribers. And with the fantastic support of our wonderful News of the Times community, we are making great progress towards that goal. We upload six days a week. Fridays are a new limited series called Forgotten Fridays, where we explore a snapshot from newspaper articles, advertisements and publications of a time from long ago. Saturdays are Serial Killer Saturdays, where we do an in-depth look at a serial killer from our extensive database. The time span of these ranges from as early as the mid-16th century to the 21st century and encompasses men, women, children and couples who kill. Sundays are eccentrics as we do an in-depth look at some of the quirky, unusual, notable and bizarre characters from Great Britain which offers up a rich supply to choose from. Mondays are murderous, where we investigate in depth a historical murder. Tuesdays are twisted and usually involve a collection of stories based around a theme, such as stories of matricide or when employers go bad. Wednesdays are wicked in this new series that will explore outrageous organisations, bloody locations and shocking events with a bit of murder and mayhem sprinkled in. From all of us at News of the Times, thank you again for watching or listening. This has been News at the Times, and I am Robin Coles.